Ready to revolutionize your customer experience? Then look no further than NICE, the global leader in cloud CX software for self-service and agent-assisted customer interactions. Imagine achieving lightning-fast customer resolutions all thanks to the power of unlimited scalability and flexibility of one complete cloud CX solution. With NICE's cutting-edge CX1 platform, you can join thousands of organizations around the globe who are already transforming customer experience in the cloud. Now that's a pretty good company, but NICE is more than just a robust cloud CX platform. Its dedication to continuous innovation ensures that you stay ahead of the competition. With NICE and CX1, it's never been easier to create exceptional customer experiences. Get started by visiting NICE.com. Explore the world's most complete cloud native customer experience platform, CX1. Visit NICE.com. NICE, cloud powered, CX at scale. Ready to revolutionize your customer experience? Then look no further than NICE, the global leader in cloud CX software for self-service and agent-assisted customer interactions. Imagine achieving lightning-fast customer resolutions all thanks to the power of unlimited scalability and flexibility of one complete cloud CX solution. With NICE's cutting-edge CX1 platform, you can join thousands of organizations around the globe who are already transforming customer experience in the cloud. Now that's a pretty good company, but NICE is more than just a robust cloud CX platform. Its dedication to continuous innovation ensures that you stay ahead of the competition. With NICE and CX1, it's never been easier to create exceptional customer experiences. Get started by visiting NICE.com. Explore the world's most complete cloud native customer experience platform, CX1. Visit NICE.com. NICE, cloud powered, CX at scale. Ready to revolutionize your customer experience? Then look no further than NICE, the global leader in cloud CX software for self-service and agent-assisted customer interactions. Imagine achieving lightning-fast customer resolutions all thanks to the power of unlimited scalability and flexibility of one complete cloud CX solution. With NICE's cutting-edge CX1 platform, you can join thousands of organizations around the globe who are already transforming customer experience in the cloud. Now that's a pretty good company, but NICE is more than just a robust cloud CX platform. Its dedication to continuous innovation ensures that you stay ahead of the competition. With NICE and CX1, it's never been easier to create exceptional customer experiences. Get started by visiting NICE.com. Explore the world's most complete cloud native customer experience platform, CX1. Visit NICE.com. NICE, cloud powered, CX at scale. Ready to revolutionize your customer experience? Then look no further than NICE, the global leader in cloud CX software for self-service and agent-assisted customer interactions. Imagine achieving lightning-fast customer resolutions all thanks to the power of unlimited scalability and flexibility of one complete cloud CX solution. With NICE's cutting-edge CX1 platform, you can join thousands of organizations around the globe who are already transforming customer experience 
experience in the cloud. Now that's a pretty good company. But NICE is more than just a robust cloud CX platform. Its dedication to continuous innovation ensures that you stay ahead of the competition. With NICE and CX1, it's never been easier to create exceptional customer experiences. Get started by visiting NICE.com. Explore the world's most complete cloud-native customer experience platform, CX1. Visit NICE.com. NICE. Cloud-powered. CX at scale. Hey everyone, welcome to the OFT Podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Voles, Site Manager, Emperor, Supreme Warlord, and Defender of the Faith over at OneFootDown.com on the SB Nation Network. And joining me today is a very special guest, uh, I believe down home in Texas right now, Carter Carls for the South Bend Tribune, the recruiting insider for ND Insider. What's up, buddy? Good, yeah, just spending one more day here in Dallas uh, before I go back. Uh, tonight to South Bend. Spent all spent all last week at uh, the All American Bowl in San Antonio and uh, had a pretty good time watching four Notre Dame signees there. I mean, how good of a time are you having when you forget your backpack full of computers? <laughs> I mean, I guess a pretty good time. <laughs> We're having to do this call over over my phone, so if I sound like I'm underwater, uh, p- please forgive me. Oh, you sound wonderful. So, yeah, that's that's a good. That was a nice uh, little thing for you to get down there to Texas for the uh, for the All Star Game. Being a Texas native, you get a little. Uh, that's a ni- that's a nice little deal you had going on there. Oh, it's perfect. You know, go home for the holidays, and then I and I stay, and then kind of drive down, stay with friends in San Antonio, and uh, it's great for my work because I, I don't have to. They don't have to like pay for all these flights and stuff. And, um, so, so that's, that's good for them, but yeah. And San Antonio is a great city to have this all American bowl game. I believe they, they signed an extension last week to, to keep it in San Antonio for through, I think 2024 maybe. Um, but yeah, uh, it was, it was a good week watching Michael Mayer, Tosh Baker, Michael Carmody and Jordan Johnson, uh, four guys that that should have great futures at Notre Dame. All right, so yeah, let's jump. Let's jump into this to the recruiting. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, signing day for the 2020 class is just uh, you barely even know anymore because how much does it really matter? It's a month away. Um, but uh, I mean, Notre Dame's class is all but all but uh, taken care of. And uh, but we'll get into what uh, there might still be another dish. We'll get into that in just a little bit, but. So th- this is kind of like the the capstone, you know, on the on the uh, recruiting cycle. Was there was there much uh, that you that you learned uh, for being down there? Like like anything new? Um, things that surprised you stood out in terms of the the signees or yeah, just yeah. overall? Well, I mean, uh, I'd already seen Michael Mayer at the opening finals in Dallas, and I I knew how crazy good he was. I guess maybe my question with, with him was, okay, this guy's really good. He's going to be really good, but how good will he be year one? And with Cole Komet leaving pretty much right in the middle of that week, it, it gave me a chance to, to look at him a little more closer, uh, talk with him about his year one impact. And uh, what, what stood out to me is is he is physically ready. I mean, he, I mean, he plans to gain 10 to 15 more pounds to, to ensure that he's physically ready, but you see him go against the, the best athletes in the country, you know, just 
in all facets. I mean, he, he doesn't block a ton at, at the All-American Bowl. There's not a lot of contact situations like that. But when you're in one-on-one situations and they're in press coverage and he has to uh, deal with being jammed at the line of scrimmage and he has to be physical and he has to you know, body receivers and things like that or, or, or uh, cornerbacks and things like that, He's, he is really good at that. And A lot of comparisons have been made to – to Kyle Rudolph, to you know Kyle Rudolph for obvious reasons. Uh, do, do you see that? I mean, I I know you're, I know you're a little younger. Don't quite probably quite remember <laughs> Kyle Rudolph uh, coming out of high school like like some of us do. But uh, do you see some of the some of those comparisons as being valid? I, I I don't know about Rudolph. I mean, he he's he's a little he's a, he's a lot longer than Michael Mayer, so I, I don't know if I'm going to go that far. Uh, but in terms of talent. Uh, Sure. I mean, uh, I, I was going to say that the one play that really stood out to me, uh, he was matched up on a, on a five-star linebacker, Noah Sewell, headed to Oregon. Uh, he's in press coverage. It was a one-on-one situation. And Mayer beat him immediately at the line of scrimmage. And the way Sewell reacted, he just said, you know what, I'm just going to hang on to this guy. So he grabs onto <laughs> the guy's jersey. And basically, Mayer is dragging him on the ground for – a half a second and basically just tosses him away to the ground and fights through this, you know, crazy defensive pass interference and then catches an easy uh, pass down the field. And, and I mean, he made Noah Sewell look like a rag doll, just dragging him around. And, and this is someone that is an immediate impact player that will be playing in the national football league one day. And so for him to already be that physically ready was impressive. Um, I, I thought that Jordan Johnson w- was impressive. I think he is a year one guy as well. Um, I'm a little cold on Tosh Baker and Michael Carmody in terms of immediate impact. I think they've got a ways to go as far as well, they're linemen. Yeah, they're, like, they're linemen. The, the yeah. Biggest, the biggest thing with the biggest thing with offensive linemen is get the best you can and then just forget about them for like two or three years. Just absolutely exactly. forget they're, that they're on the roster. Which is fine. Which is how it, how a proper college football program should be ran. You know, I mean, you shouldn't be expecting, um, you know, you shouldn't be expecting Robert Hainsey to be starting his freshman year. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So, so that's fine. I mean, being cold on offensive linemen coming into the first year and doing anything other than lifting and learning—that's fantastic. They're on their right career arc. Exactly. I mean, I look at a guy like Andrew Kristofik who. From people I talked to, he did really, really well his first year, but you know he's not going to be seeing the field until at least year twenty twenty one, probably. Yeah, yeah, but he's going to be a really, really, really good left tackle from 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 what I've been hearing and just what I've been able to see from him from last year's All American Bowl. Uh, but yeah, not until year three is he going to make that impact. Uh, you see that on the defensive line too, with a guy like Isaiah Foskey who. Could have played a lot of meaningful snaps this year, but the wise choice was to redshirt him, play him a little bit here and there, and then uh, say, "Hey, man, you got four years of eligibility after this." Yeah, and you know, and that's all. That's a huge credit to Mike Elston because Notre, you know, Notre, Notre Dame. Just to not to jump too off topic here, but you know, defensive yeah. line recruiting never been a huge strength of Notre Dame over the last twenty years, and they had been really searching for bodies at defensive end. Um, and a little bit of defensive tackle and, you know, finding the right fit uh, and then coach him up. And Mike Elson has 
oh my God, has he delivered? I mean, they have certainly got, you know, talented guys, but the amount, uh, I mean, Notre Dame's depth at defensive end last year was incredible. Um, some of the best in the country. And then even moving forward into next season, uh, it's still fairly deep. And with Foskey being a part of that, uh, part of that rotation, I mean, or, or going to be a part of that rotation. It's, um, yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. The, the difference between impact and in, in a time span between like a defensive end and offensive tackle, it seems like, you know, light years, um, you know, just the way it all plays out. But yeah, that's absolutely, that's absolutely fine. Yeah. And the important thing with, with these two guys, I mentioned Carmody and Baker is they're potential guys, right? They're, they got really high ceilings, both of them. They, they both have, didn't really take football too seriously until a little over a year ago, really until their junior year of high school. They didn't, they didn't play yeah, big basketball football. players, right? Yeah. They're both really big basketball players. Both thought that their future was, was basketball. Um, and for good reason, I mean, Carmody would have, would have gotten division one offers, uh, maybe division two offers. Baker for sure got, uh, division one offers from, from places. So they thought that was kind of their future. And then <laughs> football clicks for them. I mean, Baker wasn't even on his varsity team until his junior year of high school. Um, so the, the way they've already, the long way that they've already come and, and, what what they project as as they learn technique and they improve their strength because they still got to improve a lot of their strength. I mean, I, I looked at Michael Carmody last week and uh, he has a long ways to go physically, but but that's the good thing is he's not like a finished product. And so three years from now, if he's already good, that if he's already this good right now, then he's you know got a ton of opportunity to, to get even uh, really 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 better uh, a few years from now. Absolutely. So now we're, we're, we just spent, you know, a few minutes talking about Lyman and I think every Notre Dame fan out there is pretty <laughs> sold that, that Notre Dame does a, pr- a pretty good job recruiting uh, offensive linemen. It, it never has seemed to been a, a huge issue. There's been some years where it's down years. And uh, I think mean, you might've been uh, in junior high uh, during a few of those years, but uh, you know, but one of the bigger things is, you know, five-star skilled players now Notre Dame did, you know, Chris Tyree and Jordan Johnson definitely fit that mold, but that hasn't been a huge strength in Notre Dame's uh, recruiting, um, you know, repertoire you know, in the Brian Kelly era. Brian Kelly, probably the most interesting thing he said during the entire uh, week of the Camping World Bowl was, you know, talking about kind of like, you know, a change of of direction of a change of uh, mantra, if you will, from what he was talking about, you know, between top fifteen classes. Now he's talking about trying to get a top five class. And the way you do that, you know, is obviously with five-star talent. So let's talk about, let's, let's touch on five stars. Uh, this is, and this is something that I, honest to God, I hate talking about. I think, <laughs> I think the, the five-star talk as valid as it is, is one of the most over talked about, like and debated things around because it's just, these are such crap shoots one way or another. But this, it's all we got, right? Um, but one of the guys that we had talked about before we started recording was, you know, Michael Mayer, who many consider, you know, there's a lot of people that think that he's the best tight end in, the country, in, in this class. Not a five-star. There's two guys ahead of him. Uh, 
you have had some talk. You know, do you get a feeling, you get a sense that that he's going to end up earning that fifth star right before signing day? I know it does. It, it does not make any difference. Michael Mayer three star is the same as Michael Mayer five star coming into South Bend. It doesn't, make, it doesn't make any difference except for in perception, and which makes a lot. Perception does make a lot of difference moving down the road. But do you think that ends up happening? I think he will on one of the recruiting sites, rivals. So just kind of scanning what they've been writing and and saying. I've, Adam Gorney, one of their national recruiting analysts, said, "Hey, this is someone we think might be a five star by the end of the, by by the well, when it's all said and done." Woody Womack said, "Hey, this this guy's better than." Than Arik Gilbert, and and so they've got a lot of people at their website with, with influence that believe that this is a top twenty-five player in the class. And Rivals is weird because they're the amount of five stars that they give out every class is different. There's never a set number. They go by kind of a code that they say, okay, now one year we might have forty players that are just crazy good, like a really stacked class. And then there might be a year where there's only 28 players that are five-star caliber. Right now they've got 33 that kind of fit that billing. I wouldn't expect them to go too far outside that range, but Mayer's 37 overall. Um, he just had a crazy good All-American Bowl, so you'd think that just for him to move up a few spots, I wouldn't think that that would be crazy. But 247, they're going to have 32 five-stars this year. He's at 69 overall, um, and, and talking with some of the folks over there, they're, you know, they're really high on on Michael Mayer. But um, I, for for him to go up about 40 spots, I, I I don't know if I see that happening. I think I think he will make a jump, but I don't think it'll be quite enough for him to be a five star. Okay, now a couple of guys, uh, like look, so we so we had we had Brian Kelly talk about that good stuff at the Camping World Bowl. And then uh, you decided you were going to set the uh, the message boards and Twitter on fire uh, <laughs> with your <laughs> with your story about uh, about you know Brian Kelly maybe not doing as much as what he had talked about in that press conference uh, with a couple of uh, you know they're not you know Jalen McMillan uh, not a five star player but I mean but these are high caliber guys um, let's talk a little bit about that what did you first of all. What has been the react? What's the reaction that has stood out to you the most uh, since you published that story about? And, and if you guys don't know, uh, you really haven't been paying attention. Uh, Carter published a story about um, Carter. I'm a, why don't you go ahead and explain it? Yeah. So at the All American Bowl, I talked to two players that, in my opinion, I thought were the biggest misses in Notre Dame's class. What I mean by that is they're the, the two best players they missed on, and the two players that they could have. They're the best. They're the two best players that they could have landed that they missed on. Uh, this was the wide receiver out of Fresno, California, Jalen McMillan, and then the safety out of Arizona, Lathan Ransom. And it would, it would have been one thing. I mean, most kids they want to be general. They don't want to ruffle feathers. They don't want to say uh, anything too condemning. Uh, so it would have been one thing had they said, "Yeah, you know, Brian Kelly didn't talk to us too much, but." We, we would have gone to Ohio State and Washington no matter what. But what they said was was pretty condemning. I mean, they said that uh, Jalen McMillan said that, yeah, Brian Kelly didn't text me at all. Uh, he didn't text my mom. He didn't text my dad. And 
whereas Washington's entire coaching staff, top to bottom, every single assistant had my number. They were, they were texting and calling me all the time. Uh, Lathan Ransom, he said that Ryan Day was calling him three times a day uh, in the final few weeks of the, uh, before the early signing period. And I know that you know, calling and texting kids is not everything. It's not, it's not always going to be the difference with every kid, but it, it can be the difference with a couple kids. And, and these kids said that, hey, had he been more involved, had he been calling me, we would have had a relationship and I would have uh, been more interested in that school and, and probably would have gone there because Notre Dame finished number two for both of those kids. So, yeah, the, the reaction from that, I mean <laughs> – uh, my Twitter notifications were absolutely gone. I mean, it was, uh, it was a, uh, a fun two days, just <laughs> the firestorm that came from that. But uh, no, this is no secret. This was nothing that I right. think um, was, a, was a too big of a surprise. But getting the full context, getting comments that were so condemning, uh, that that hasn't really happened before. There 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 hasn't been kids that have been willing to kind of say that on the record. Right. Uh, the scope like of it did. was huge. I mean, yeah, the scope and, of it was then, huge. It was, and the context of what Kelly said the week before, it, it was a relevant topic because he had just said, "Hey, we have things in place that we think yeah, he like get he better. teed himself up." You know, and like I, you know, I, I called it, you know, kind of like a mea culpa. You know, he's kind of putting. Maybe that was in the back of his mind a little bit. I don't know. But, you know, whether for, for better or for worse, he kind of teed himself up with the comments for the Camping World Bowl. And then with the – I mean, this – it was not shocking in the least, but it shook me. You know what I mean? Like this – it's it, because it's just so blatant. Um, but yet you, you kind of get used to it after a decade a little bit, I suppose. Well, I mean, and, and he was pretty general about what he said. So it could be – Right, uh, something else. It could be, uh, it could be that and other things. Um, well, I'm thinking I mean, if, he, if he, you know, maybe that had no bearing on his mind. At all. You know, if he, if he didn't, if he didn't do what said he didn't do, then maybe he didn't think it was as important. And so that, so something that's not important is not really on your mind. Right, but, but these were two. Get the thing. The thing that needs to be, the important thing here is that people need to understand and why it's so. This is such a negative, you know, this put in such a negative light for Brian Kelly is these weren't just two like high profile guys that that you had offered. These were two guys that, you know, and a lot of a lot of kids have had Notre Dame number two and Notre Dame is never was never even close to being their real number two. Um, or if they were, it wasn't close to number one. But people have these were two kids that were absolute Notre Dame fits. These were early mm-hmm. offers. These were guys that Notre Dame was going hard after. There's obviously their assistants uh, were going hard after. These were absolute get, you know, go get these top guys. targets in the class yes, for sure. Absolutely, absolutely high four star guys. I mean, these guys are the difference between Notre Dame sitting at twelve number right now in the composite rankings and number seven or number eight, whatever, whatever. It, it puts you it puts you closer to your to your supposed goal of a top five team or a top five class, and so to to hear that, you know, a few a few extra phone calls or texts. You know, we have no idea. We have no way of knowing at all. Let's just say Brian Kelly did get on the phone three times a day or what whatever it is with these guys. If the, if their mind would have been changed, 
But I think Notre Dame fans would be fine. You know, you're fine with losing that if you know that the effort had been made. And just to, mm-hmm. to try to figure out why it wasn't, like, why aren't you going all in? Like, if, this, if these are the keys to the future, why, why wasn't more done to secure that future? And, and Notre Dame's put it, you know, some disadvantages with the pool of players they can get academically and, you know, they don't have all these private jets to fly. And then, you know, there's, but there's that's, their, but that's, that's their own fault. The private, <laughs> the private jets thing always it's, gets me not to get into that, but, but, yeah, but what that, I'm saying that's, is that's on them, but also the pool of players is much larger than I think people think like there are yeah. definitely, there are definitely kids out there that cannot get into Notre Dame. And this has nothing to do with how smart they really are. Sometimes it's just a, it's a, it's a, you know, a course load thing. Did they take the right amount of classes that, you know, in high school, it's as simple as that. They could get a 1500 on their SAT and it wouldn't get them in to Notre Dame if they didn't have the right number of foreign language classes. I mean, that's it. And that's, that's, that kind of thing is never going to change. But I think the pool of players is much greater. All you have to do is look at the offer sheets. I mean, Notre Dame consistently puts out 160 to 200 offers a year. That's a lot of guys. And you start looking at, okay, who's on that offer list more than, you know, like your top 200, 300 players. There is a very large portion of all those players that are getting offers from Notre Dame. And the ones that aren't, I hate to tell you, doesn't matter if you offer them or not, they're not coming. Well, I guess what I, more what I mean is that they, they definitely have to wait on some guys. And I, right. I think it's – I mean, that that's sort of flawed in and of itself where they have to know for sure on, on certain guys. And then you talk about the geographical disadvantage. But, but, but my overarching point is that with all these disadvantages considered, you would think that you would try to overcompensate by – you know, being really sharp and they have been in most respects. I mean, I think this is the best recruiting staff Brian Kelly has had, but yeah, texting kids, you, you would think that that would be easy. And, and I don't an think, assistant. I, don't I mean, think assistant that, can d- take care of a text for you. Yeah. A, a, a grad assistant. I mean, yeah. there's no way that he, these head coaches like Ryan day are, are the ones that are texting these kids every single day. But that doesn't matter because the kids don't know that. I mean, it doesn't matter right, if it's they're not, they're not wise to that yet. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a quick fix. And, uh, I think, I think Brian Kelly has been kind of known as this big event guy where he, he shows up for official visits and big games. He'll talk to the kids. Um, and he's a really good closer, you know, yeah, you get him on that, campus. And that's and the boom. thing. He should be a, a top a top level recruiter along the lines of like a, of like a, what an urban Meyer is because honestly, like one-on-one with Brian Kelly, I mean, he's a very compelling person. He's, yeah. you know, he's, he's, he's very genuine in his conversation. Uh, yeah. He's got a pretty good sense of humor. I mean, we're not talking about press conference after a shitty loss. You know, the, <laughs> I think people like you, you'd look at that and like, well, that's Brian Kelly's personality. Well, that's, that could be farther from what, type of person it is in a normal setting, especially yeah. when he's trying to whoop somebody. Uh, he's a very compelling guy. Uh, so for him, you would want, you want more of that. Like that's a good thing, Brian, like that's an advantage that, that you have over, you know, most of the country. 
uh, that you know, it was something that should be used. And I just think that drives people nuts that it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the recruits I talked to, they, they love kind of his sarcasm, his, his sense of humor. Uh, they, they, and, and yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head that being genuine is, is kind of his best thing. He's really upfront with these kids. They'll say, hey, this going to school is, is not a walk in the park. This, there's going to be challenges. Um, you know, you're not just because you're this really good player doesn't mean that you can come in and expect all these things start right away. Um, he's not, he's not a guy that, that gives empty promises. And I think that, and you never hear much about, you don't hear that. that. Yeah. And that's the great, that is the nice thing about Kelly is that even with, you know, attrition from the roster, when guys transfer, there's not a whole lot of people talking about, uh, being lied to or misled. Now there's some guys that may be upset. Malik Zaire was a good point. Uh, was one where his, him and his entire family felt, but that was just a crazy situation that, you know, there yeah. was no way out of, I don't care who the coach was, uh, and you're gonna, and you're gonna feel shorted. Um, uh, but, uh, but yeah, you don't hear about, you know, empty promises or, um, you know, or, or any of that stuff coming from Notre Dame or for Brian Kelly. Yeah. The big point is th- this is a really good operation recruiting wise and, and football wise, three straight 10 plus seasons uh, that they're going to, they're, they're starting to get some real impact players uh, at the skill positions that they haven't gotten really before uh, in terms of pedigree. But just because it's really good, doesn't mean it can be better. It do- doesn't mean it can't be better. And I think it can be better uh, and, and more involvement and, um, getting on guys maybe earlier right. uh, than usual will do that for you because that's how you land the big five-star guys. You start talking to them their freshman, sophomore years of high school, and then you're in constant contact with them. Exactly. And we are going to take a quick break. and we come back, we're actually going to talk uh, a little bit more about uh, the farther future. Uh, we're going we're to start diving into 2021. Uh, I hate talking about the uh, – the next class before the last one is all done in February, <laughs> but that is just the way of the world. Uh, you know, that's just what we live in anymore. Um, so we're going to talk about that when we get back. Uh, stay with us. Ready to revolutionize your customer experience? Then look no further than NICE, the global leader in cloud CX software for self-service and agent-assisted customer interactions. Imagine achieving lightning-fast customer resolutions all thanks to the power of unlimited scalability and flexibility of one complete cloud CX solution. With NICE's cutting-edge CX1 platform, you can join thousands of organizations around the globe who are already transforming customer experience in the cloud. Now that's a pretty good company, but Nice is more than just a robust cloud CX platform. Its dedication to continuous innovation ensures that you stay ahead of the competition. With Nice and CX1, it's never been easier to create exceptional customer experiences. Get started by visiting nice.com. Explore the world's most complete cloud native customer experience platform, CX1. Visit nice.com. Nice, cloud powered, CX at scale. 
Ready to revolutionize your customer experience? Then look no further than NICE, the global leader in cloud CX software for self-service and agent-assisted customer interactions. Imagine achieving lightning-fast customer resolutions all thanks to the power of unlimited scalability and flexibility of one complete cloud CX solution. With NICE's cutting-edge CX1 platform, you can join thousands of organizations around the globe who are already transforming customer experience in the cloud. Now that's a pretty good company, but NICE is more than just a robust cloud CX platform. Its dedication to continuous innovation ensures that you stay ahead of the competition. With NICE and CX1, it's never been easier to create exceptional customer experiences. Get started by visiting nice.com. Explore the world's most complete cloud native customer experience platform, CX1. Visit nice.com. NICE, cloud powered, CX at scale. All right, we are back. Carter, 2021, Notre Dame is off to a fantastic start. Uh, seven commitments in the class. Um, obviously, uh, there, there, there's a, a pretty decent quarterback uh, already committed to Notre Dame uh, for this <laughs> class. Uh, I have thought I've, the early signing period has changed everything. Um, and I think in, in ways that um, I don't think anyone really envisioned until it all started happening. And certainly the, the cycle, um, you know, early in the season is different. This is normally a time where you're finishing up, you know, your current recruiting class uh, and, you know, off, other offers are starting to go out and, you know, you might get, might have one or two commitments, uh, but, you know, you're already, they're already seven deep in, you know, you're starting to look at an official visit, you know, the, getting kids up in the spring uh, has always been known as, has been an importance for Notre Dame. But being able to make them official visits has become all the, I mean, most top programs out there have at least, you know, a quarter, if not half their class done by June. Um, and, you know, maybe, maybe even more, more so than that. Um, so Notre Dame's doing a hell of a job right now, uh, locking that down. How do you see this class evolving? And we talk about the, you know, we talked about five stars right now, you know, that, that class there's, uh, look at the composite 24/7 composite. There's 29 uh, five stars. Notre Dame has offers out to 13 of them, um, and I think, I mean, I think uh, you know Tyler probably can make a case for a five star himself, couldn't he? Tyler Buckner, yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about Tyler James. I thought, oh, yeah, I mean oh. Tyler James is a, five, <laughs> uh, is a five star guy in my book. Yeah, yeah. No, t- Tyler Buckner. Uh, I mean, man, that guy is special. I mean. I- it, it was really funny because I remember going to the, the opening last year and, and kind of before he, he first started playing these high school games. Cause before this year, he had not played a full high school game because he tore his ACL uh, as a, as a sophomore. And I just remember hearing rumblings from people like, eh, he's not that good. And uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's not as good as this McCarthy kid. And, uh, well, all those people were proven wrong this year. I mean, Buckner is special. He broke like every record you can imagine. Uh, finished, I believe, number three all time in, in total yards. A total. You think the only yards. thing holding him back? I mean, he's still not rated a five star even after their last uh, ranking scene, which wasn't too long ago. Do you think the only thing really holding him back is the level of competition he's going against? Yeah, which, I mean, it is. Yeah, yeah, the level of competition is is not good for sure. Um, and, and I think he, they want to see him prove himself more in camp settings. And I think he'll have that opportunity, uh, 
when it when it's time for the opening and you know the all-star games and and maybe a couple more camps um and what what made him special before he ever played was how well he did in camp settings for, for, at schools like UCLA and Notre Dame like the reason why Tommy Reese was so adamant about offering this kid was because he watched him throw like 50 passes uh, on a Saturday uh, against air. Um, and, and so he knew he had that confidence that he would be that guy um, just off seeing him throw against air. So I think the more opportunities that Buckner will have in camp settings that are, are you know, big time like the opening, I think that'll be his chance to kind of prove himself as a five-star guy. And I think he is that good. And as far as the, the rest of the class, I mean, yeah, you, you usually see nowadays Notre Dame's probably one of the top schools for taking advantage of the early signing period. And they get their class almost completely done by the first week of July. They, they have the last two classes, and I expect that to be the case this time. Makes for a good summer, doesn't it? You get you, you have a pretty uh, quiet July normally. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can go on vacation. <laughs> you know, this last time I, I went to Europe. Did you go to Spain? Great. Right. Yeah, yeah. I went to Spain. And <laughs> I'm thinking, hey, thanks, Xavier Watts, <laughs> for committing uh, July 5th so I can uh, oh. go on vacation now. <laughs> uh, so I love it. I mean, it's it's great for me. Uh, I don't know if the 247 and Rivals guys would agree. They, they kind of like when when it's madness 24 seven, but right. it doesn't affect well, us too much. So I'm, I'm all in for it. Yeah. Yeah. I've said that as like from a fan, from the, like a pure pa- fan, not even like what I do with one foot down, but just as a fan, it, you know, I, I get the security of it all, but I do kind of miss the, the, the one signing day, kind of that weak madness, weird yeah. message board post going up at two o'clock in the morning. I mean, it, it was a crazy, it was a crazy fucking shit show uh, for many, many years. And it was, and looking back, you know, I look back in this, you know, with a lot of nostalgia, um, but you know, it was a kind of a panic attack uh, leading up to that day, but it was a lot, you know, you look at it like that was kind of fun. This is just so boring now, which is fantastic for the program. Uh, <laughs> like yeah. by leaps and bounds, it's great. It, this is so much better for Notre Dame football, but just from a uh, kind of like a recruiting point of view it is kind of a bore because uh, things are are and, and these kids are wiser now i mean the, there is a definitely a change in how they go about their business as opposed to just you know maybe five or ten years ago um like you know people are well aware these high schools that pump out a lot of these talents they're used to this they are i think they a lot of them do a fairly good job of talking to these guys about um you know, how to act, what to say, making the, you know, making your right decisions quicker. You know, there's less, to me, it seems like there's less flips, um, you know, than, than before. Maybe that's inaccurate. I have no data in front of me, but it, to me, it seems like there's less flips uh, because that, that spotlight got took away, you know, from signing day. So some of these guys that were saving a flip for signing day, which was definitely a thing, isn't there anymore. So it's, you know, kind of, Lose when something loses its luster, uh, guys tend to like go down a normal path. Yeah, I, I think Notre Dame loves not having the drama. I mean, oh, yeah, basically, 
they can start on their next class in July, uh, full full force. You know, I mean, you think of this year. Really, the only guy they were going after this season was Ramon Henderson. That they had Colin Gamble a little bit down the stretch, cornerback from Texas. Someone, someone was still talking to Jalen McMillan and like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, McMillan, <laughs> that time, somebody. But but yeah, yes, yeah, somebody. But but you know, you, you're able to kind of um, put all of your eggs in the baskets of of like three players in that class, and then you can go onward to 2021 and. You saw 2021 guys that were big time commit during the season because they were able to focus on them, like Deion Colsey, uh, Lorenzo Styles. Yeah, and, and especially with Colsey. consecutive days. That was, you know, during the season, I think that was, uh, that should have been bigger than what it was. But, you know, during the middle of yeah. the season, but two wide receivers of that caliber committed in consecutive days was yeah, absolutely enormous for Notre Dame. Yeah, that was huge. And, I mean, they also had Will Shipley on campus at that same time. And, now, and I think yeah, Lance I wanna, Taylor's doing a crazy good job with him. So I want to talk a little bit about that. So yeah, just to just to reiterate that how big that was. Look, Deion Colsey is from is from Georgia. He is yeah. from an area that Notre Dame desperately wants to get more in. I mean, they want to really dive in uh, to the Georgia schools because Georgia schools, unlike there's a lot of private schools down there. I think Adams yep. Academy is definitely one of those. It's a lot. A lot of these guys, they're they are. You talk about the academic requirements and can you get in another? These guys are set. Like these schools have these guys totally ready to go. There, there's never a real issue there. So a guy like Deion Colsey is a huge importance. Obviously, backyard of Georgia, not to mention Florida, Alabama, Auburn. All those guys are there, and then. A guy like Lorenzo Styles. Now, Ohio has always been a great, you know, recruiting ground for Notre Dame, and especially since Brian Kelly has gotten back to Notre Dame. I mean, Ohio has always been there for decades, uh, but like Weiss, much more concentration in in Jersey and in Florida, and Kelly really has been pretty consistent in the state of Ohio, especially in the Cincinnati area. But getting Lorenzo Styles, who was an Ohio State legacy uh, from yep. Pickerington, that's not a that's not a Notre Dame area. Like Cincinnati, you can go down to as Notre Dame. That's a that's a and correct and and in Cleveland too as well. Um, and Cleveland, Toledo, Cincinnati, those are you once you get around Columbus, which mind you is surrounded. Look, if you get if the United States gets invaded, Columbus is completely <laughs> surrounded by prisons that could act as army bases. It is ridiculous. They are just encompassed in circle. Anyways, I was going to kick out of that, but this is not a, a neck of the woods that Notre Dame can go down to. Uh, and, and, you know, get a lot of guys and they did here. This is a Buckeye legacy. This is a, that's a huge pickup. So you get those yeah. two guys and in their own right is a huge commitment in consecutive days. It's a, it's a really good thing. Yeah. And you're right. No one really talked about, I mean, I did, but <laughs> you know, the perception, <laughs> it's a job Carter. Yeah. But, but the perception publicly, it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, because everyone was focused on beating USC right. and these, all that. These were signing, if this was happening in December on this early signing day if those, yeah. or, you know, or whatever, it's a much bigger story and much bigger deal. But these were huge. Yeah. And, and I, always, I have to be careful because with the early signing period, with how early Notre Dame's getting on some of these guys, I know that not a lot of people care about Hey, this 2023 guy who just <laughs> learned how to do cursive—it <laughs> just got an offer, still, you know. It's like, the, 
<laughs> I mean, not not everyone cares about that, but but this is something people should care about. I mean, and, and you also think Deion Colsey is right in the backyard of Kirby Smart. I mean, he went to school with Kirby Smart's kids, um, <laughs> and, and and like other members of the coaching staff's kids, and is close with those kids too. Like they they're a very very close group, and yet he's still he's going to Notre Dame, and uh, I mean that 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 was. Very impressive for me that they were able to get him and then Lourdes on Styles out of Ohio. And then back-to-back days, yeah, it, it was kind of like this bombshell of, wow, these two kids that Notre Dame usually doesn't get for many reasons. Like, not just the whole Ohio State legacy, friends with Kirby Smart's children thing. These are also big-time wide receivers. And Delvin Alexander wasn't able to really recruit that well and, and and now he's really turned the corner. Now he's getting Jordan Johnson, a five-star receiver. Xavier Watts has a lot of promise. And then in this upcoming class, he's got uh, two guys that are going to be top 100 overall players in their classes. So it's yeah, showing about, like, that right now they're four, number, and this is overall. This isn't position. Colsey's at number 43, and Styles is at 104 according to the Kabazit rankings. That and that's. Yeah where Notre Dame needs to be. This is exactly what we're, what people have been clamoring for. These are the skill position guys, whether you add that extra star or not, these are the dynamic athletes that you see making plays. Yeah. And, and that just shows, I mean, Dell has turned to recruiting quarter in, in my opinion. And, and he upgraded from Austria Denson to Lance Taylor at, at the running backs coach recruiting wise. Uh, and so those are two, skill possession positions that were of biggest need for Notre Dame. Uh, and it was very clear after, after the Clemson game. And now they have gone out and they've, they've accomplished what they needed to do. And, and certainly they still need to keep getting those guys every year. But, uh, right. Until last year, it wasn't like this. Wow. They, they've, they're getting all these five-star four high four-star wide receivers and running backs. And, and now, they're getting those guys, and they're in the conversation for, for guys as well. I mean, this 2021 class, they're in the conversation for a couple really good running backs and, and even a couple more wide receivers. So, um, yeah. All right, so, well, let's, let's stay on that. But, I w- but before we start talking about uh, these guys, I want to – this is going to be the boring talk. But to me, this is, this is sexy. This is, this is – to me, this is stilettos. This is this is this is it, and I'm talking about guys like Landon Tengwall, uh, Blake Fisher. <laughs> Rock- now, there's been there was a you know, and this happened like I think during last cycle, guys like AJ AJ Henning and a few guys that you know, like took their picture and talked about how we could all play at Notre Dame, and everyone got excited. And then I'm not sure if any of those guys uh, from that <laughs> from that thing end up committing to Notre Dame, but there was a big thing, you know, with like Tengwall and Spindler and Fisher saying, Hey, you know, what if we all go, you know, and then you still got, you know, a guy like, let me ask you, Tommy Brockemeyer, any chance that her name has with him, him, do you think Texas guy, you're a Texas guy. What are these Texas guys thinking over there? Um, probably the least promising of the big guys. Um, I haven't been able to, to, to kind of check in with him for a while, just because with the grind of the season and 2020 class and all, but yeah, I mean, it would feel like he would go to Texas, but um, I mean, well, really, he's a, 
Texas legacy, right? Yeah, and and I mean, I think that the the guys that I'm really looking at are Landon Tangwall, Garrett Dellinger, Rocco Spindler, uh, and a couple other guys, Nolan Rucci. But yeah, he's far down the totem pole in terms of interest in Notre Dame. I, I think he likes Notre Dame. He's been there once or twice. But uh, I think the hope for him is is that Notre Dame's in his top five and that he'll be willing to take an official visit in the spring. I don't, I think that's a guy who you can't wait. I mean, I think Notre Dame with a couple guys has said, well, we don't want to get you on campus on April. We we want to get you on campus for like the USC game or like this big game. And that's always a risk to take because Sometimes you can't wait on those guys, and they're going to take an official visit in May to their their prefer their let school me, of preference. And then let me get an boom. honest answer from you. Then let me get, yeah, I got a question for you. I want an honest answer from what you just said there about trying to hold off a few guys. Do you think a lot of that is in part because of a guy like Greg Crippen, who's committed right now, who a lot of people you know he he's kind of looked around a little bit, and you know there's been noise that. Notre Dame really wouldn't mind if he if he went elsewhere because of other guys they have rated higher than him that they're sitting really good with. Yeah, it's all it's always kind of a dicey game to play, um, and and I don't buy what some of these other analysts have been saying about Greg Crippen in terms of. Ah, well, he's really not that great of a player because you know the except whole they except they have him rated game. high. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's they're, like they're, they're making themselves out to out to be idiots. And if you're gonna if you're gonna rake a guy that high, I mean, the guy commits to Notre Dame, and he's this all world talent. Wow, oh my God, look how amazing he is! And then he he takes a visit to Michigan, and all of a sudden it's oh he's too short and he's not that good. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> pick one, okay? Uh, so I think that's a little overblown and ridiculous, but. Um, I think he's a good player, but yeah, I mean, Landon Tegwall and, and Rocco Spindler, those guys are, are, are better. I mean, but, this is a class where Notre Dame probably should be getting about five linemen in this class. Um, from what yeah. I, just what I can gather, but maybe six, they could take six, but I think five is probably the target number. And you started looking at the, the top guys that, that could commit and they're like, the top guys in the class, a guy like Tim wall, a guy like Spindler, Blake Fisher's already committed. Um, you know, and then Dellinger's another, another one, the name that you just brought up. I, and this is, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm putting the stilettos on. This is the, you know, this could be a group, you know, much like what we've been seeing from Notre Dame. This is the yeah. core group. This is how you can run the football. You get a speedy five-star running back behind these guys and it's more like Josh Adams, 2017, right? Yeah, and, and that's why I'm I'm hesitant to go all nuclear on on Jeff Quinn like like some other people have because hey, I understand that he he has had some uh, some you know weak points on the offensive line, but pretty soon he's going to have an elite offensive line with the guys that he's recruiting. And it's not like Harry Heastan left the cupboard 
full on on some classes. I mean, he I think it might have been the 2016 or 2017 yeah. class where he's reeling in John Dirksen and Dylan Gibbons and guys like that that haven't really showed anything and, and don't project as elite players. So Jeff Quinn has gone in and kind of reinvigorated the recruiting. And I just in talking with players, they really love playing for him and, and are excited about playing for him. So, uh, so people need to like come off the wall a little bit about, uh, yeah, I, you know, the he stand, he stand news really, you know, just, just in the same way where Kelly's comments, uh, you know, your article just fucking threw a, uh, atom bomb on those in the same way, you know, like he stand, uh, getting fired from the bears is out there and, you know, just some stuff come out. They're probably not going to, you know, Notre Dame's not going to be kicking those tires. Maybe they should, or even if they are, you know, there's something that, that, uh, that he stand probably wouldn't be interested in. So look, Jeff Quinn is your offensive line coach. Um, what, you know, like it or not. And I, I guess I'm, I, yeah, I'm lukewarm on Quinn. Uh, I think I think he's done a great job recruiting. I think it's been amazing what, what you know what he's doing there. And I you know you, you do hear that from uh, you know you hear it from the players. You know just in the way they talk about him, they like him. That, that's not a bad thing to like a coach. Yeah. He's just different than what he stand was. Um, and obviously, yeah. you know the results running the football is probably is the biggest thing people are basing this all on. Uh, PFF just put out their offensive line rankings and Notre Dame was ranked, you know, 13th in the country, but they're number two in pass uh, protection. Uh, you know, some of that is in part because book is not a statue in the pocket, um, uh-huh. you know, for, you know, and maybe to some of his detriment, sometimes you and wish he's you leaving would. the pocket a little too yeah. often too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, but it is what it is. It still is what it is. That's still a high ass ranking number two in pass yeah. protection. So that, that's nothing to sneeze at, you know, their problem probably has been and was, you know, a lack of talent overall in the running back room. I mean, just yeah, you know, that be, was one that, too. That, and and my criticism for Jeff Quinn has been kind of the lack of emphasis on technique. Just that that's been kind of the word that you know Harry Houston. That that was all he was about was gospel, emphasis yeah. on technique. Where, whereas Jeff Quinn has has kind of gone off of that. And when you're talking about having to run guys over in the running game and 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 being successful in short yardage situations, that's very important is, is technique. And the sure guys, I don't care who playing against. It could be a, a mid-level team. The defensive linemen you're going up against are still 6'4", 6'5", 300-fucking pounds. They're big, strong guys too. So just trying to blow somebody up strength on strength isn't what makes you a great offensive lineman. You know, it's using – you know, Quentin Nelson is amazing, right? Like he's got – He's nothing but fucking power, uh, you know, <laughs> with a helmet on. <laughs> but he also has amazing technique. Like everything that he does is so technically sound. That's what makes him one of the greatest of all time already in his in his short career. Uh, so that's that was a big difference, uh, you know. And the stuff like you know Liam Eikenberg, I, I I mean I love Messers Boy. He was the highest rated. Offensive lineman that Notre Dame had this year. Maybe that some of that's because of Robert Haynes and being out uh, some of the season. I don't know. But when you know when you start using the word McFlinchy, uh, you know, <laughs> you know. I didn't and, hear that, but that's pretty funny. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it, 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 <laughs> I think it's, it's kind of it's kind of heartwarming. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, Mike Mike McFlinchy had a big false start problem. Yeah, that's why it was Mike McFlinchy for a while, and then he goes on to do incredible things. 
I love Liam Eikenberg. I've, I liked him. He's a, he's hashtag Ohio. Uh, so automatically gets a little extra from me, but he's an, God damn. He's just, he's a huge person. I mean, this is an immense individual who moves really well for his size. Does a great job. I, you know, if you take away some of those false starts, which can absolutely be done, uh, it, it, I think people have a different perception of him because he does a really fucking good job, you know, out there, you know, blocking guys. And, and I don't, I don't think they were embracing. I don't think every coach on staff was a great embracing the uh, clapping cadence. Yeah, that, that was dynamic. A uh, that that was kind of a big point of contention. Do you think the long Quinn dynamic, um, the kind of like the rift between those two? Uh, is legit like that was a a huge issue between uh you, you know because for as good as Notre Dame's offense was this year and I've said it a, quite a few times it was just it was weird to watch like it, it never felt like a 38 point a game offense no um, I did not no but but there they were doing things and you start so you have to start looking at you know well, why isn't this more efficient uh and you know a lot of the things have been brought up especially since Chip Long's uh, dismissal was, you know, this rift between Long and Quinn. Did you, do you, you know, feel a lot of that's accurate? Yeah, I mean, I, I won't go into specifics, but I, I, I don't think I don't think Chip Long was a guy that was uh, embraced and given a warm hug by every member of the coaching staff every every day he got to work. This was someone who did he need a hug? I mean, uh, no. But you but you can't get a grad. I mean, maybe you can't get a grad assistant to give out. Okay, that probably it's probably a law against that. But but uh, I mean, I, I would. But that's the way Chip Long operated. Yeah, that's the way Chip Long operated. In that he's going to spar with coaches and players, and he's he's going to tell his way of thinking, and and he's a fiery coach that that believes in his way and is going to push people to, to, to be better. And, and that's really good in some respects. And, and that that's needed. I mean, I know someone like Chase Claypool, he really benefited from that style of coaching from Chip Long. He, he, the only reason he I mean, became, he's, or, he's, 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 he's got toughness in his blood, right? Like he, he like, does, but he didn't, he <laughs> was not receptive to that coaching for at first. He had to have a sit-down meeting with Chip Long and kind of hash things out because they did not get along at all his first year or two at Notre Dame. I mean, they, they hated each other, but, but they were able to kind of um, meet and, and talk things over and, and, and work through things. And, and once Claypool knew what Chip Long was trying to do for him in terms of pushing him, and getting the most out of him, you get over that. Claypool then, yeah. really got over it and was receptive to it, and and it, you saw it pay dividends on the field. But not everyone's Chase Claypool. Not everyone is receptive to that style of coaches. So coaching. Right. So when you're in someone's face cussing at them, and and well, this uh, isn't 1991 crazy. anymore. I mean, it's it's a different world. I, yeah. Look, I you, I think I'm sure you've you've uh, noticed this, but a lot of Notre Dame fans are very entrenched still into the Lou Holtz era. I mean, they just, they can't get out of it. I mean, they, they can't, you can't fucking push them out. Uh, but it is just a different yeah. world altogether. You, you cannot, there are just things you cannot do anymore. Um, 
as part of your normal coaching style, that was just normal. You know, like Joe Moore couldn't exist today. Um, you know, the great award that's for his name, the great Notre Dame offensive line coach, his coaching tactics just, he was more, he stand, you know, you think he stand was, you know, one of these tough coaches. Joe Moore was beyond that, like by leaps and bounds. It just, that's not what can go on today. So it is a different way of having to go about it and which makes it more specialized, right? Like you really now have to, you, you do have to cater a little bit to what these guys are. It's whether you like it or not, that's just how, how things go. You're not, you try to force the issue. You're going to start losing football games. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Chip Long's way of, of doing things can be successful at, at certain places. I don't know about Notre Dame and, and I've never really seen him as a guy who will be a successful head coach unless he were, you know, to, to go to a place that was set up to do well, like Memphis or something like that. But, as an OC, I think his way of thinking can work. I think he can be a competent OC, and he was a competent OC for the most part. At yeah, this Notre wasn't Dame. somebody who fa- this wasn't somebody who failed or fell flat on his face in Notre Dame. He was he's a he's a success. He's a he is a success story in the sense that Notre Dame's offense got better. Yeah. They were, it was a better offense during his time there. There his was knock, just his knock is that his offense had a propensity to not perform and underachieve when in the, big the, the, in the big moments and it happened at Memphis that happened at Arizona States. So uh, yeah, I think that, um, he is for the most part pretty good, but there's a couple things here and there that, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't work. So, um, it was a bold move for Notre Dame to, to move on from him in the way he did. Just when you look at kind of like the stats and everything and, uh, uh, replacing him as a recruiter will be important because I I talked about how Dell Von Alexander is starting to hit his stride as a recruiter. Chip Long too. I mean, when he first got to Notre Dame, he wasn't very proven and he wasn't very good at recruiting, in my opinion. But he got really good by the end of it, reeling in um, tight ends that were you know top three at their position in their classes, right. and then. Uh, he was heavily involved in, in Chris Tyree's recruitment. He might have been the sole reason uh, that, that Notre Dame got to Chris Tyree. I know Lance Taylor had some good involvement with it too, but Chip Long was really the, the point person on that recruitment. So, um, well, since, yeah. Since you, brought up, since you brought up Tyree, we're starting to run out a little bit out of time here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, since you brought up Tyree and we're talking about 2021, you had mentioned a couple of good running backs. I imagine one of those is Will Shipley. Uh, the other, the other one maybe is, uh, Wheaton from Texas. Is that who you're getting at? Both five-star kids. Yep. Yeah. Kamar Wheaton, Donovan Edwards as well out of Michigan. Yeah. Uh, special talent. Uh, and uh, I, I mean, do you get the set? I mean, is Notre, Notre Dame probably, they kind of have to take, they have to take two running backs this class, right? That's what I would think. I mean, it, it wouldn't really make sense not to, um, but they also have a pretty crowded running back room. So uh, we'll see, but but I, I think the big thing you need to not just get a guy that's really good. You need to have him complement a guy like Chris Tyree, and so a guy like Kamara Wheaton. I don't know if he's the top priority because a smaller back. I don't know if, if he complements Tyree. Whereas Will Shipley, I know he's still an all-purpose guy, but he's a little, a little bit bigger. He's a little bigger, but yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, you might want a bigger back. To, well, to I mean, in that sense, him. I mean, the, your next back, Donovan Edwards. I mean, but, but, I mean, just look at the just the. I mean, him and Wheaton are basically the same size. You know, they're both five yeah. eleven, around one hundred ninety eight pounds. So, you know, I agree with you. That's why I thought it was maybe I was one of the few people that thought it was important. You know, I felt it was important that Tony Jones came back just to have yeah, that that compliment. Um, you know, people will disagree with me. That is what it is. But you start looking at who they have off. And look, Notre Dame only has 88 offers out right now. They will double that for sure before probably May, uh, you know, or sometime around May. So there's going to be more running backs. But right now they're all in that basically in that same mold. Uh, you know, Shipley, Wheaton, Edwards, uh, Lavosa Carroll, uh, Corey Kinnear. These are all guys that are same basically the same size. And these are like Chris Tyree style backs. So they're not really looking, I mean, right early, there's not really looking at that more of a all down, you know, I mean, not to say that Chris Tyree's not an all down back. I think Shipley's I think everyone gets my language here. What's yeah, that? I think Shipley's capable of that though. I think he's someone that will end up being 215 or something like that okay. once, once he's playing. I mean, we'll see. So but may, I mean, so maybe that's not so important to him, right? I mean, I think I mean Shipley is definitely someone who many people believe is starting to lean, you know, towards Notre Dame, and I, I won't. No one's gonna. He's definitely not a lock by any stretch of the imagination. But it's someone you could definitely see committing to Notre Dame, um, you know, maybe within the next few months even. But you know, because he's not just a speed back, um, maybe that's why that the offers you know, you're kind of waiting and seeing, uh, you know, on some of that stuff. Exactly. And, and yeah, I, I thought Tony Jones, just to circle back on that, what he was able to do last year was really important for Notre Dame. They didn't really have a, a complete back like him. And I, I'm not totally sold on Jafar Armstrong going yeah, forward. Yeah, I'm not either. I, I mean, even before the year, I felt like we kind of got in this media group think where oh, just because Jafar Armstrong was good at, in track at, in high school and he's 215 pounds. But the thing was, they revolved so really much good. of their offense. You know, they revolved so much of their offense around Armstrong. It was hard for you to think otherwise. I mean, yeah. you, you were, I mean, you were there. We were down in Louisville. And when he went down, everyone kind of looked at each other like, fuck, that was half their offense. I mean, that's, that's their offensive game plan was so much of what they were, you know, Jafar Armstrong yeah. was a big part of that. Um, so it was hard not to think that, but yeah, I mean, it's, he may never pan out and maybe that's because of injuries or maybe that's because of other things, but you know, Tony Jones Jr. for, for regardless of everything else on the field was still going to be the adult in the room. Uh, you know, you got still yeah. have a lot of young guys in the running back group. And I mentioned it the other day too. Look, this guy's a, a Trojan killer. Tony Jones Jr. deserves much yeah. more accolades from Notre Dame fans <laughs> for what he's done to our biggest rival over the last couple of years. Like he has straight up slayed, but I yeah. mean, all, I mean, he deserves a lot more respect uh, than what he's given. And I mean, part of that, I mean, I don't know. I, I hope to God somehow there's some kind of weird wind uh, when he's testing his 40. Cause I want to see eyeballs pop out of people's skulls. Uh, if it's faster than what they think, I, I don't think it's going to be. <laughs> no, I don't, but, I don't either. But my, you know, Miles Boykin was someone. Look, yeah, run out of time, but I got. I have to get this out there. 
when Miles Boykin left Notre Dame, many, many fans and even some of the media thought, that's okay. There's a lot of fast. And this was after the Clemson beating. So yeah, everyone was thinking about speed, that fast. Yeah, everyone was thinking about speed, 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 speed. That, so that's okay that a possession receiver is going. A lot of people mm-hmm. said it. A lot of people did. And then he goes out and runs his 40 and blows it out of the fucking water. And now it's like, oh, God, what did, what's go, what did we have? Now, I tweeted that out maybe like a month or so ago, like in very short form. And people didn't believe me. They're like, no one said that. Bullshit. Yeah. You don't see my mentions or my emails or all the comments. <laughs> and, and I put a lot of those out there. Carter, I know you're in the same boat as I. You, you, saw, you absolutely saw that. Uh, from fans of some media members, like it, and then because it was the. I mean, the I react, did too. The reaction to the reaction to his forty time was amazing. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think he was nearly that fast. I was shocked. I was shocked, and and so I, I will admit that that was the case. I think um, going back to just how how the running backs operate, like I think that they they have backs that are all kind of different in a way, and. I, I don't, they don't have like an all around back. Like Tony Jones, he was like a, he was like the chilies of running backs. He was, he was pretty <laughs> good at everything, but not elite at anything. You know, everything on the menu there is right. decently good, but nothing's elite. Uh, but, but then they've got these other backs that are either really good at one thing and really poor at another. I think with Jafar Armstrong, he's a great athlete, he's great in space. So when you have these outside zone runs, when you motion them to the slots, when you do all that, that's really good for him. But running in between the tackles, he never that showed that he had vision. He never showed that he's got good anticipation. Uh, blitz pickup, not nearly as good as Tony Jones. So he is not an every down back to me. He is more of, I mean, he, yes, he can get 12 to 15 to 18 touches a game. But that doesn't mean he's an every down back that can be used right. for every situation. And Chris Tyree is not that as well. Um, so they're going to have to figure a way next year to kind of uh, have a running back for every situation. Maybe Jameer Smith is their goal line back, and, and he's just going to be the touchdown vulture for Notre Dame next year. I, I don't know, but um, they're going to have to figure a way they certainly to, need it. to that, that, compliment that, that guys. That is definitely something that they need. Yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're going to need to find a way to compliment these guys and, and find out situations for them. You know, Chris Tyree could be their Braden Lindsay next year that they, they, they use kind of how they use Braden Lindsay this year. Uh, Armstrong can, can get most of the touches, but he's not going to get the goal line touches. I don't know. It's, it's definitely going to be an interesting <laughs> thing that they're going to have to kind of look at and, and see how they kind of handle that. Absolutely. All right, we have really come down to our time here. So, but I have to ask you one uh, final question here. Um, Let's do it. I need – it's difficult. You are so full of ridiculous <laughs> hot takes when it comes to food. But there was a battle royale that seemed to involve a lot of the Notre Dame media members a few months ago <laughs> uh, and ended up scoring me a shitload of free pizza. Um, I need your best – Frozen pizza take. Yeah, you know, you said this the other th- that time, and yeah, I and what I, I said I'm was that home run home run in pizza is the best frozen pizza you can buy 
period. It is dominance personified. But doesn't out. it cost like 12 bucks or something? No, like that? no, it does, it does not cost $12. It is like, it's normally about like eight bucks. Okay. Most times it's on sale for about six. Okay. And it, and it is dense. Like it is a interesting good, like, ty, you know, Tyler said, I can't remember the last time I bought anything other than the journos. Yeah. The journos is trash. Like it is a sloppy pizza. That That's shit's okay. I, you know, it's decent. You no, know? No, no, it's, it's terrible. It's absolutely this, this terrible. This is my thing. Frozen pizzas, you know, okay. Obviously some are better than others, but to me, it doesn't vary so much that I don't, I just kind of go to Walmart and, and get, the one that looks good and has a lot of pepperoni. You probably grab Jack's, right? You're grabbing Jack's for two bucks. I, I like, you know, I like, I'll get DiGiorno. That's a bad, look, I like Jack's. Don't get me wrong. And, and I think Freshetta is pretty good. Um, they got good crust, but, but I don't yeah, I go, the, I don't go like, Oh man, let me search the Googles and, and see what, what pizza this place is selling. Cause I'm see, thinking I think about that. Once, Usually I go to a place start, if I like it. Once you start eating home run and pizza, Okay. You will start searching the Googles for where who's <laughs> who's selling that. It is a superior pizza in every way. And if you're you know, ask Noy, because I know he was he was he's dead sold on it. It's it's the crust has got this, I swear to God, it's got this little taste of like old style in it. It is like you get like just a, a straight sausage uh you know pizza from home run in. And get you, you know, a six pack of old style. You're set. And it's it's a pizza. It's a frozen pizza that you can make, eat half of it, and be full. And you will eat the leftovers the next day. For I mean, I'll eat leftovers pizza anyways. But it's it's something right. that you look forward to. Like, oh yeah, man, I got that pizza in the fridge. It's that it's that kind of pizza. So when you're when you go to the grocery store, pick yourself up a few. I mean, rather than grab the one, you know, not everybody's freezers are that big, but you could probably. I think most, and you're a yeah. single guy, right? You got no yeah. kids. I think your freezer probably can handle, you know, th- you know, three pizzas from home run in there. <laughs> I can do it. Yeah, I'm, I'll have to try it. You know, I my main thing is I'm very. But simple. you're looking, you're looking for speed, 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 right? You're looking for the, you know, for. I'm looking for simple and cheap, and so I mean, I my standards. I mean, people have joked about this. Tyler's right, so joked about this. Have you t- I well, look, I will defend a pizza. No, I, listen, I will defend you. I have literally have two minutes to go before I have to go pick up my kid from school. But I will defend you to the to the death on your gas station food takes. There is a lot of gas stations out there with great food, and Hunt Brothers is a quality pizza. It is not the greatest pizza out there, but it is a good pizza to pick up. It's ready for you. It's a it's a two slice and one slice treat for you in a box that's better than a stick of beef jerky. It, it, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Hot dogs are great at gas stations. I mean, and some gas stations. There's a gas station in in Fort Wayne. Actually, it's in New Haven on the outskirts that has one of the best Italian restaurants in the city attached to it. There's a little spot. Well, look, let me rephrase before we get too crazy because hot dogs, gas stations. Those are yikes to me. I, I mean more like um, I mean more like Bucky's in Texas is an incredible gas station, and then I get what you're saying. I'm, and then gas stations that have like restaurants built into them, like in San Antonio, there are a ton of gas stations that have like just taco stands and 
um, Tex-Mex restaurants. And some of those gas stations have the best food because they're extremely authentic and they're just kind of these hidden gems of the city. And so <laughs> I love those places. And I'm telling you, Indiana has freaking no Tex-Mex or Mexican food at all. I go like four months without eating eating queso when it makes me really sad. Um, they don't know what spicy food even means up there. Oh, my God. You, you, drop, you, you drop these at the end of the podcast where I literally legally have to go pick up my kid from school. <laughs> <laughs> and I cannot battle you all these terrible takes on the fine Mexican cuisine in the state of Indiana. Shame on you, Carter. But hey, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. I, I know you're you're ready to go uh, in search of your bag for your computers and uh, chill out your last uh, day or so down in Texas. Thank you so much for coming on. You bet. Thanks for having me on. And sorry if I've pissed off everyone with my food takes again. <laughs> we had to do it. All right. Thanks again. Uh, and uh, until next time, go Irish.